from Two Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, December 21st, we are studying 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1-12. to In today's text, St. Paul begins to wrap up his epistle. He addresses questions from the Corinthians concerning the collection for the saints in Jerusalem, and also brings up travel plans that he has, as well as his co-workers. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Tim Eden. Pastor Eden serves at Bethel Lutheran Church in Bryan, Texas. Pastor Eden, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. It is always good to be with you, and good to be with you again today. So we get started today. Give us context as we need it for this first part of the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, like you said, we're getting into the, the tail end of the letter. Um, and it seems that um, Paul is wanting to address a few kind of final um, specific topics with his uh, with the, the Corinthian church. Um, uh, so, I mean, as we would think, kind of wrapping up uh, um, the content of, I mean, he's already wrapped up the content, the main emphases he's wanting to focus on, but some of those final details, logistics even, uh, when it comes to travel plans and whatnot. Yeah, that's right. And it does seem like almost like a bit of a letdown after the way chapter 15, you know, talked at length about the resurrection of the dead and the importance of Christ's resurrection and what that means for our resurrection. And now, like, okay, well, here's some travel plans and don't forget to receive an offering and some of the things we'll talk about today. But I don't I don't think we should think of it as a letdown, obviously. This is sacred scripture for one thing. And and just as a as one connection we can make to the previous chapter. Chapter 15, again, is known as the resurrection chapter of the Scriptures, but verse 58 ends the chapter by Paul saying, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So once again, we see how doctrine and practice go together, that the the teaching of the resurrection has implications for the life of the Church in Corinth, and that's at least one of the theological connections we're going to see here, I think, in this last chapter, not only in your section, but in the one that we finish tomorrow. Uh, and and super important for us to always remember, especially when in any of the letters, when we're talking about some of these things that may just seem purely practical or even borderline earthly, so to speak. I mean, it's all founded upon the 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 call it the doctrine, call it the you know the the gospel, whatever you know emphasis you want to put there, or here specifically, even based on the resurrection itself, uh, if there was no resurrection, Paul wouldn't even be talking about taking a collection or traveling here and there because all of it would be moot. You know, there would be no point to any of it. Um, but it is based on all of that. And and I appreciate you bringing verse 58 there of chapter 15 because, um, you know, th- there's someone that makes that connection of the work of the Lord, abounding in the work of the Lord. Yeah. This, is, this is part of it then as he moves into chapter 16. Even if he's addressing specific things that they're wondering about, it's still connected to um, what he has been talking about. It's not completely separate or disconnected. Right. That's one of the beautiful things that I've 
come to appreciate about this epistle is that for as topical as it often seems, and we're even going to see some of those topics in this section, Paul connects them beautifully and ties them all together into the foundation of ultimately Christ crucified, chapter 1, and Christ risen, chapter 15. And what you said about this section, you know, being perhaps a little bit earthly, I think is is perfect for us as we think about what it means for us to be Christians. You know, again, with verse 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I mean, sometimes we might be tempted to think, oh, this work of the Lord has to be big and impressive looking. And Paul, at least, is going to give them some examples here that are maybe not all that big or impressive looking, right? Receive an offering and welcome the preachers that that come to you who are faithful. That's part of the work of the Lord. And yeah, it's really normal, everyday stuff, but that's that's what God has given you to do. So be steadfast in that, and don't be ashamed to take those what seem simple tasks from God. And I know for me that reminder then also... Um, whether it be the, uh, the the pastoral work, you know, that, that you and I do, or um, the the husband, father, other daily type work, um, uh, the reminder at the end of, of chapter 15 that, that the labor is not in vain yeah. um, has been hugely meaningful to me at many times. Uh, and so, like you're saying here, whether it's the seemingly day-to-day, maybe monotonous type stuff, whatever our occupation or vocations may be, um, it's still labor for the Lord. Um, I think it's Colossians, you know, do everything as if um, working yeah. for the Lord, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and same here, and know that that then is not in vain. The Lord will make use of that, no matter how simple it may seem. So, with those things in mind, we take a look at the first part of 1 Corinthians 16, beginning at verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes... See that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. That's our text for today. That is 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 12. A number of topics within this short section, Pastor Eden. The first one dealing with, as Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints. Uh, Talk to us just about that brief introduction that we get there in the first verse. Yeah, uh, that now concerning language, this isn't the first time that Paul has um, used that. Um, So I imagine if your listeners have been uh, listening uh, throughout 1 Corinthians, they, they recognize this. 
um, and probably remember that um, back in uh, the beginning of chapter 7, um, Paul starts uh, using this language, um, and there in verse 1, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Uh, and so it seems that chapter 7, chapter 8, um, another place or two, and then here again, that Paul has received a letter from the Corinthians and asking about some specific things. And uh, while we don't have that, and so we don't know, oh yeah, here's what they wrote, and here's what Paul's response was, um, uh, we do have here Paul's response, and it seems to be then uh, referencing, you know, responding to a specific question or, or, or topic that they were wondering about. So here first um, in our section uh, concerning um, what, you know, presumably what they wrote about regarding uh, collection for the saints. All right, so tell us a little bit about this collection for the saints. What, what do we know from other places in the New Testament as to what Paul might be addressing here? Uh, so, uh, really, uh, from from my understanding, since the beginning of the what we would call the Christian Church, um, uh, after Jesus' resurrection, after Pentecost in particular, we see the persecution uh, that uh, begins to take place, especially in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas there, um, where it, it's sort of the the epicenter of not only the the proclamation of the gospel, but then because of that, the the response of people who are opposed to that. Um, and so that has caused a lot of um, not just strife, but um, tangible, I would say, difficulty, um, especially for the Christians um, in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And so uh, there's a point um, even before Paul's missionary journeys where um, uh, shortly after his conversion, um, I believe it's from Antioch that he brings, he and Barnabas bring, you know, some aid, some relief, um, uh, presumably, you know, monetary offerings to the the, the Christians, the, the brothers, as he calls them in, in Jerusalem, uh, to help provide for their support as they're, as they're struggling with probably basic things of life. And so here, especially on Paul's um, third missionary journey, um, this is a big a part of what he's doing. It's certainly not the only part. Um, uh, he has a lot of other reasons for visiting the churches that he's been to, um, but but part of it is um, gathering from those who have uh, to help care for those who have not as much, um, uh, caring for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in this way. Yeah, and as you said, this is something we see throughout the book of Acts, even already in chapter 6, where they appoint the deacons to take care of the widows' needs when some are being neglected. This is certainly a, a very important concern that the Christian church has from its beginnings. And of course, going all the way back into the, the Church of the Old Testament as well, when you look through some of the, the laws that are given in Leviticus, the concern for the poor has always been there. And mm -hmm. so it continues into the New Testament church as well. And here we've got an example of an offering that's being received for that church in Jerusalem. Sometimes might even consider that the mother church, so that those uh, daughter churches that have been planted by missionaries coming from Jerusalem, Paul and Paul himself, they want to support those Christians elsewhere. 
And so this, this offering that he mentions here will become an important topic again later in the second epistle written to Corinth, which we'll, we'll talk about in the new year. We're, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians mm-hmm. as well. So this is, and this is one that he brings up elsewhere in Romans chapter 15. There's a reference to this offering as well. He, here he even mentions that it's not just the church in Corinth, but also the churches in Galatia that are, are going to receive instructions about that. To talk a little bit about the, uh, the nature of this as not just a, an offering that Corinth is receiving, but the, it's more of a, a world, worldwide concern even. Yeah, um, I, again, he really is um, uh, trying to draw support from churches throughout, uh, at least again at that time, kind of the, the Christian world um, where the gospel has spread to. Um, uh, again, this is his third missionary journey already. Um, and so while you know he says there, as I directed the churches of Galatia, um, I'm not aware of any, even though we have a letter to the Galatians, um, I'm not aware of any explicit, you know, biblical reference where, ah, yeah, this is where he said the same thing to the Galatians here. But um, what I think is probably most likely is where Paul is writing from, um, being Ephesus, and on his third missionary journey, just going through Galatia to get to Ephesus, um, he probably was just directing them, you know, in person there um, to to do this sort of... uh, gathering, you know, uh, collecting of, of funds, setting them aside, and uh, ultimately for the purpose of then um, the, those, those uh, collections, the, those offerings being taken to, to Jerusalem. Uh, I appreciate how, you know, you brought that all the way back to the Old Testament, because um, just pondering this, again, what can seem like a simple and sort of earthly um, uh, day-to-day type topic, it, it again, is founded upon we are the body of Christ together, uh, the people of God. Um, God has always had it in mind, even all the way back to the people of the Old Testament, to care for one another. Uh, when one is in need, um, those who have, you know, help care for those who, who have not. Um, it, it is, it's just, I mean, it's part of who God is, and so it's part of who his people are to be. Um, not, not to the exclusion of those who are not part of the people of God. We don't want us to... to, to only be thought of in terms of a, well, if you're in the club, then you get helped out. <laughs> it's not just that. Um, however, um, because of the, the theological reality um, that we are the body of Christ together, then the body of Christ is caring for the body of Christ. We bear one another's burdens, you know, the, the other language that's used at times. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and that's what this passage is talking about, is the care for the church for the, the other members of the church. That's not to exclude those who are outside the church from the love of the Christian. There's plenty of Scripture passages mm-hmm. that talk about the way Christians should treat outsiders and showing love to those who are in need. It's just that this passage is talking more specifically about the love that the church shows to each other. And I think, you know, in the context of, of 1 Corinthians, in which Paul has been addressing the divisions that are there within this particular congregation, (laughs) there's been a number of places in this letter, and this is another example of it, where he reminds them of the practices of of other churches. And so to see their unity with the wider church hopefully will help them to address the matter of disunity and division within their own congregation. I think that that all those things end up going together, that the division that exists within Corinth, one of the ways to work on that is to recognize, hey, it's not just 
us Christians in Corinth, but there's a larger church that we are a part of. And Paul, again, as he's done in other places in this epistle, is putting them into that larger context of, of something that's bigger than just Corinth. And it's really cool to see how how big that is, actually. I mean, it, it's... <laughs> It's helpful, I think, to us to to because we can't do this on our own, but to be you know by his words be brought to that broader perspective, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of the 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 forest among the trees idea, that the ten thousand foot view. Because um, I'm reminded uh, this past summer we were looking at um, uh, First Thessalonians, and um, as Paul is driven away from Thessalonians, this is earlier in his ministry, uh, uh, second missionary journey. He, he goes down to, to Corinth, actually. That's his first time. Um, but you have the the church in, in Thessalonica, a, a brand new church body, young Christians that are caring and providing for him, actually, as he's, as he's going to these other new churches. And so there's even just in Greece or, you know, what, what we would call Greece today, um, there's some of that provision that takes place for him and his work. Um, so then this is an even bigger picture of that. You know, it's not just in this area. It's not just these few churches, but it's actually, again, this idea of the body of Christ as a whole. Um, and, and sometimes that just kind of makes me go, wow, um, how, how, how big the, the picture really is. Yeah, absolutely. And even, I mean, I think that's in the context, again, of 1 Corinthians, it's helpful for us to see that because there, there often seems to be a a modern view of the ancient world that sees it as unsophisticated or you know very i don't know what the what the right term unsophisticated not very connected hmm. and when you start paying attention to these sections of Paul's epistles the the ones where it seems like oh he's just wrapping things up you really do start to see how the church is very connected to each other hmm. and and that what's happening in Corinth and what's happening in Asia and what's happening in Jerusalem, these churches are, are communicating with each other. Sure, they don't have smartphones, they're not texting, right? I mean, but they, they know what's going on with the other churches, and they're caring about the other mm-hmm. churches. And to be involved in that, that, again, that larger work of the body of Christ that starts in my local congregation, but then extends outward from there into other places, really is a, a marvelous thing. Um, to, just to, and to see how it even played out in the ancient world, you know, we, we think we're better because we've got the smartphone, but we're not. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, even though the the connection, you know, the communication and the connection may take longer for them, um, uh, it doesn't mean they're less connected. Right. <laughs> um, uh, it doesn't change that reality. Um, we may feel like we're more connected because of the instantaneous, you know, um, message sent here, message sent back, wire transfer of the money here, you know, kind of thing. Right. But but really they're just as connected as we are because it's yeah. not about us. Again, it's about what Christ has put in place. Yeah, yeah. And and to see then that the way that this church in Corinth, even though it is you know, a, a ways from the churches in Greece and the ways from the church mm-hmm. in Jerusalem, they are able to participate in this work in this way. Really, I think, I mean, we should see this as a gift where he says, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you are to do that this privilege of caring for each other in the body of Christ isn't limited to a select few, but because the church in Corinth is a part of this full church of God, they are able to participate in this, and Paul invites them to participate in this. This is not intended as a burden, but it's an opportunity to, to live together in this body of Christ. Well, I think like you mentioned 2 Corinthians, you know, where he spends 
what a chapter, a chapter and a half, two chapters almost on this, yeah. you know, topic of of giving, you know, generosity. It, it's again, it, it like you just said, it's not meant to be a well. Here's the thing you have to do because you know you signed up or or what you joined or whatever it may be. No, this is actually um, something that is ideally, you know. Sometimes because of our sinful nature, it takes a little bit of that, you know, that we need it, a little bit of that pressure or or command, you know, from the Lord. But really, it's supposed to ideally flow from, you know, a, a giving heart, what what we have been given, you know, first. Um, and again, just sort of that uh, faith bearing fruit, uh, you know, idea. Yeah. So now the Paul has some instructions because that's what they've asked for. Well, how, how do we do this, Paul? What do we? What do you want us to do with this collection? And so, as he as he begins to lay out the instructions in verse two, what are some of the the details that we need to see? Um, so, on the first day of the week, um, uh, the, the Greek there apparently has this literal, you know, the first day after the Sabbath. Um, uh, and so, uh, for us, it's easier to understand. Oh, the first day of the week, Sunday. Um, why Sunday? Because that was the day that they gathered. That was the day of the Lord. You know, that was the Lord's day um, because of the resurrection of the Lord. Um, and so there, you know, let's let's give it a day. Each each week on this day, um, you know, put something aside. Uh, now, it's interesting, probably different from what we may think in our day, at least typically, you know, where, oh, first day of the week, Sunday, I'm going to church. I got to put something in the plate. Excellent practice. Um, uh here in Paul's context in his day and for the Corinthian church, it's put it aside, store it up, um, uh, because then when he comes, uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of put the, the collection all together. Um, uh, I also note, though, as we were just touching on, as someone may prosper. This isn't a everyone needs to give this flat amount. You know, uh, every, uh, there's not even the, the, the tithe mentioned here. Although again, this might be something that we would connect to it because of the various passages passages in Scripture um, that may be a helpful guide. Uh, but really, there's there's a lot of openness to this um, in in between the, the 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 instructions, the guidelines, the parameters that he sets. Yeah. So yeah, there's a number of things. Just the the fact that the first day of the week is mentioned as the the day to do this. I think is is more evidence that we have from the scriptures that the Christians are worshiping on Sundays from a very early time, mm-hmm. and the fact also then it's the first of the week. Given some of the things Paul has said about, he's brought up first fruits in the previous chapter in connection to the resurrection. You think about the way offerings did work in the Old Testament. While the tithe isn't particularly mentioned, I do think that the the idea that God receives the offering first. You, you give according to what he has given, and that is what comes first, I think is is all evident in that matter of the first day of the week. Mm. The The mechanics of it are, are interesting, this matter of, you know, storing it up. I guess I, it sounds like you store it up at your house, and then when Paul comes and, and these are, there you have these representatives who are approved, it all gets gathered together, but not in the sense, at least, that he's kind of knocking on doors, begging for money at the time he gets mm-hmm. there. It's already there, all ready to be put together so that it can be taken then to Jerusalem all at once. And then, yeah, yeah what you said about as he may prosper, I think, is is also really important, that this isn't Paul only expecting one segment of the congregation to participate mm-hmm. in this, but he, again, is giving opportunity for all Christians to participate. So whether you are rich or poor... 
this is an opportunity for you to support your your brothers and sisters in the faith, and it's it's not exclusive to one part of the congregation. Everyone has the joy of of giving in this manner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I that even ties back around to your first comment there about first day of the week, first fruits. Um, uh, again, this is this is driven by and based on what God has first given us. And I'm not talking just in a in a spiritual sense, you know, but in a full holistic sense, you know, yes, what God has given to us in terms of our eternal salvation and our forgiveness, um, but also in terms of what God has literally and physically given us here um, in tangible ways. And it's in response to that, that we first set aside whatever portion um, for the Lord and, and for his work for and for his his people. Yeah, well, and even this this language of setting something aside and storing it up does seem pretty reminiscent of the way that Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount about where you put your treasure or where you store your treasure. Do you store your treasure here on earth, or do you store your treasure in heaven? And now there is a, a storing up on earth that's happening here, but it's not storing up for my own greedy gain— Rather, it's a storing up to bless the saints of God, and so in that sense, is a storing up of treasure in heaven, because I'm, I'm taking use of the earthly treasure God has given me, not for my own selfishness, but for the benefit of someone else. Hmm. That's, a, that's a really cool thought. I made a note of that, because, um, it, again, it connects it to the, um, to the heart um, in that way that, that Paul more explicitly does, I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, in 2 Corinthians. Hmm. Sure. Yeah, and and he will talk about setting us, you know, the the cheerfulness of the giver in Second Corinthians. Mm. We want to keep these things from First Corinthians sixteen in mind when we later get to chapters eight and nine of Second Corinthians, because he will have more to say about this. But he certainly is is setting the stage. the 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 thing I like about making that connection about storing things up here is that you know, well, what does it look like to store up treasures in heaven? Mm. That's not simply something spiritual in the sense of of non-physical. It is spiritual in the sense of, I make use of the gifts that the Spirit has given me here for the service of my neighbor here. So to store up treasures in heaven does have a very earthly impact, It would if, if we can rightly connect that text with this one, hmm. which I yeah, think yeah. we can. Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> so Paul is giving instructions for this collection, very practical implications that the church in Corinth would continue to abound in the work of the Lord in light of Christ crucified and risen. We're going to keep looking at those instructions and more of Paul's comments in 1 Corinthians 16 on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Tim Eden this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, December 21st. We're studying 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 12 with Pastor Tim Eden. He serves at Bethel Lutheran Church in Bryan, Texas. Pastor Eden, prior to the break, we were talking about the collection that Paul is instructing the Corinthians. In the first four verses, they are to set aside, to store up on the first day of the week according to what God has given, so that when Paul gives, or when Paul gets there, there's not going to be any collecting. We're not to imagine sort of the—I mean, you can imagine uh, the embarrassment of a pastor coming along and knocking on everybody's door saying, hey, it's time to time to give your offering. There's an awkwardness there on, for Paul, and there's also an awkwardness for the, for the part of the Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Paul says, go ahead and take care of this now for practical purposes, as well as the theological ones that we're talking about. Then he, he talks about what happens when he arrives in verses 3 and 4. We get some of the mechanics. Uh, what are what are the mechanics he lays out and some of the reasons that he might be laying this out? Uh, yeah, so when he arrives, verse 3 there, um, uh, it was noteworthy to me that, you know, he says, I will send those whom you accredit. Um, uh, now, what does that accredit word mean? Um uh, the idea behind the the Greek there seems to be someone that has been tested, you know, proved to be trustworthy, examined, um, and and but notice that it's not he's not talking about himself. Um, he's not saying that again, kind of the picture you painted. He's going to come and ask everyone to give their money to him. Um, it actually, especially when we look at verse four as well, he's actually. Um, the the collection that's been stored up individually is going to be brought together for people that they know and have tested and proved, hey, these people we know are going to take it all the way back. Um, and so it actually seems that there are carriers of these gifts um, from the, the Corinthian church. Um, uh, verse four, if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. You know, so they may take it themselves and Paul may be doing other things. Um but, you know, as we see with the rest of, of Acts play out, you know, he is part of that group that's taking it back. Uh, it makes me wonder how many people from, from the various churches as he visited, um, you know, does entourage just grow more and more? And then eventually, you know, there's 15, 20 people that are taking all this, this collection back. I, I don't know. And maybe that's not even an accurate number. Well, I mean, just the mechanics of it, again, they're not, as you use the term, wire transfers. They're not doing wire transfers to help the churches in Jerusalem. They're actually giving, you know, physical items. And I would imagine that we are talking yeah. about, you know, coins, silver, gold, precious metals of some kind, so that it's not, you know, a bunch of like dry goods sort of thing. There, there is a monetary sense to this, but even then, it's going to be it's going to look different than the way maybe you and I would give an offering today, even in terms of just just the cash nature of it. So that there is something to that. I, I think that's that's worth paying attention to. And the fact again, Paul, I think what we see here from Paul is that he he keeps himself above reproach. You know, he mm-hmm. has talked previous previously in this letter about how although he has a right to receive payment as a preacher of the gospel, he refuses that so far in in Corinth for the sake of not putting a stumbling block. 
and I think perhaps something similar is going on here in the background for Paul, is that this is one way that he's going to keep there from being a stumbling block placed between him as a preacher of the gospel and the Corinthians as the hearers of the gospel, so that there's no no chance that they're going to think he's you know taking something off on the side. Mm-hmm. He's letting the Corinthians be the ones to handle this offering, and it keeps him above reproach. Even as, and I do think that the letters of recommendation come also. Paul Paul's going to give a, a letter of recommendation so that when they mm. get to Jerusalem, if they get there without him, they know like the church in Jerusalem is going to know that this is a legitimate offering from the Corinthians. But yeah, I mean you see some of Paul's just pastoral approach I think in evidence mm. here in these verses. Yeah, it's just it's just wise stewardship um yeah. uh, of 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 the the earthly goods and wise stewardship of of his office, you know, again, so so there are certainly times that we see Paul um, in in needing his own provision. Sometimes he works to provide for that. Quite often he is, you know, again saying that the the, the worker deserves his wages, and so he is accepting, you know, offerings or payment would not be the right word, you know. But again, he's he's accepting the support of the churches uh, of the people to provide for him in his ministry very often. But here he's making the clear distinction of this is not for me and my ministry or, the, you know, this is for those people. And and, and making that uh, very clear line, um, clear delineation so that you said there's there's no question, you know, there's no wondering, there's no doubting. And and all of the, unfortunately, the the whatever that may look like in our day, you know, so often it's those kinds of things, whether it's money related or otherwise, where... There's some sort of doubt in someone's mind or question that isn't isn't clearly answered, and in and of itself isn't a bad thing. But that's often where then Satan can kind of try to sneak in and and work in those things to cause further issues or further division. Even if there isn't an, a legitimate issue at play, that kind of wondering uh, can be the starting point for some of those things. And Paul is making sure that that's not not possible here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, keeping it above reproach, I think, is is the way that he's he's trying to handle this. So with these these four verses, Pastor Eden, I, I don't know that these are necessarily intended to be prescriptive for the church in every time and every place. That that the way Paul said, "Here's how you handle the collection for the saints in Jerusalem in Corinth," is the way that the church in Brian or the church in Godfrey needs to handle our collection, our offering every week. But I do think even within this description, there are things that we can take to heart as as Christians when we think about our work in supporting the saints of God. So, I mean, just to, because I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on this, just the thought of setting things aside at the beginning, giving giving to God from our first fruits, the thought of doing so according to the way that God has given to us, that there's not necessarily a some sort of exact standard, but I rather would consider what God has given and then give in the similar generosity, and to do so in a way that that keeps things above reproach seem to be some of the things that that we could take from this when we think about our practice of of offering today. Any thoughts, comments? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think first to your point of what isn't necessarily a direct application to us to to set a a thing or two aside there is, um, no, it's not like we have to follow the prescription or the what might be considered a prescription, but I agree with you, it's, it's not, you know, where, okay, me and my family, we're going to set our stuff aside, and we're going to keep it at home until this designated time, you know, whether, you know, for our church, that would be once a month or once a year. And now all of a sudden, we're bringing it together. I, that that doesn't seem 
reasonable for, for us to, to take those and, and put those automatic implications upon ourselves. Instead, what I think some of the things that you're touching on as well that Paul is kind of putting forward for us are uh, the regularity is one of the things that stands out to me. Um, you know, by the nature of saying on the first day of every week, you know, so maybe it's every week for us, maybe it's once a month, you know, um, uh, as he may prosper, because even especially in our day, as well as in their day, so who knows what this looked like for them, you know, uh, some people receive income once a week, some people every other week, some people it's irregular, you know, and, and so, um, but, but even whatever that income may look like for a person, for a family, some sort of regularity, you know, setting aside or directly giving each instance, you know, to, um, to your congregation or um, to what other, you know, any other sort of entities, um, uh, whatever that offering may look like and to whom um, for the work of the Lord. I, again, I think that regularity piece um, is is a practical reality that we should follow. That, that's that's my two cents. Um, yeah. uh, if we let it be kind of too distant between, you know, th- then there's just, again, that possibility for it being forgotten. Or, and, and the other note that you were noting is the why behind this. It, it's not because, you know, well, this is these are my dues, you know, in order to get this or that. Um, instead it's, I'm remembering what God has given to me that he has provided for me, my family, my, you know, whoever that may include. And in trusting him, I'm, I'm giving, um, back to, to the Lord is really, you know, and and however that gets used, whether it gets used for the pastoral office or for the care of others in another place that are burdened, uh, for mission work in this place or that place, um, you know, for whatever those purposes may be, um, entrusting that to the church at large, um, whatever that may look like. Yeah, and I think that that connection, the regularity, and also the connection that you're noting there at the end, the connection to this is not just me paying the bills for the church or paying my dues to be a part of the church, but rather it's an act of worship. And I think that's something that, that we often, or we can be very tempted to forget, that in giving an offering, this is an act of worship. I mean, of course, I'm serving my neighbor and love through it, but I'm also worshiping God, giving to Him. Uh, something that I, I, I really had to, to think about and, and struggle with a little bit, for really for the first time in the aftermath of, of the pandemic, when one of the very first things to go, I think in many Christian congregations, when we were trying to figure out how to navigate things, was, well, we're going to stop passing the offering plate in church because we don't want to all be touching the same thing. And, and that was one thing that, that was pretty easy to do in terms of the worship service and pretty easy to kind of leave out too, because it was easy enough to put the worship or the, the offering plate somewhere else. People could still give their offerings without passing the plate. And, and I had to think a little bit about this sort of coming out of the some of those pandemic precautions that were taken. Do we bring that back? And on the one hand, it's easy enough to leave it out, and people are still giving their offerings, and people were being very generous with their offerings. I think many Christian congregations experienced that. And so it's simple. You know, that's that's an easy one. On the other hand, as I thought about like texts like this and other places that speak about our act of giving, it is an act of worship. And so I think there's something, and again, it's not wrong if you don't do it during the worship service, but I think there's something to having it during the worship service that keeps that connection vividly for us. This is more than me just sending in the check. 
This is me actually worshiping God. He has given to me, and so I want to give generously to those who are in need in response to his generosity. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. And and uh, I mean, our congregation has or is going through some of those kinds of conversations as well, um, especially even, you know, whether it be, again, the pandemic kind of catalyst, but even before that, you know, the um, the means that we have of online giving, um, and then again, whatever role pandemic played in that. But I think that's where we don't want to be overly prescriptive. Um, because for some, I know I've heard that actually the ability to just put it kind of on the auto pay once a month, this is what, or every other week or every week, whatever that looks like for someone that may actually be the best way for them, according to their their heart and what God has given to them to give cheerfully um, uh, because of whatever the ins and outs of that individual in their life. But for others, you know, it may be the, no, I need to do this tangibly. Um, sure. And so how, I, I don't think, I just, I think we need to guard against too over prescriptive, but also being mindful of those dynamics like like you're putting forward is helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's not that one practice is necessarily inherently sinful or something like that. But yeah. as we should simply just think about the practices and the ways that they can be helpful in, in these things and where the where the pitfalls could be in the practice that, that might lead me in a into a place in my heart that would be incorrect, whether that's an online giving or a giving within worship or the plates in the back. These are the attitudes that the Lord would have in our hearts as we give however those gifts happen. Yeah. So it's just it's it's helpful for us to think about these things so that our heart isn't led astray by whatever practice there may be. And that, I think, is consistent with some of the other things Paul has said in this in this very epistle about the way that our practices should be done in love and, and should be teaching us things mm-hmm. about... Yeah, so I think similarly with, with the matter of offerings. We'll get to talk more about that when we get to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Mm-hmm. Before the end of our conversation, we need to talk also about Paul's travel plans, because that's where he... He goes. He's going to be coming to Corinth. He hopes. He plans. That's where he he talks about in the next several uh, verses, five to to nine. Talk about a little bit about what he says about his travel plans here. Yeah. So again, a few of these kind of logistical pieces that are actually helpful for us, especially being so far removed. Um, you know, this is why earlier in our conversation I can say Paul is in Ephesus because verse eight. You know, I will stay in Ephesus for now. Right. <laughs> um, uh, and and that helps us to be able to place some of these, you know, letters from so many years ago. Um, oh, we can say with with relative confidence, you know, that, okay, Paul is writing from Ephesus to to the people in Corinth, and therefore it, it's most likely, if not very confidently, the, the third mis- missionary journey, because he's also saying here that he's about to go through Macedonia. Um, uh, so traveling up and around um, uh, the, the, the sea there, um, to come back down, you know, to the the peninsula of Greece and and Corinth, <clears throat> um, uh, he he you know desires to come and spend some time uh, with the Corinthians, um, but kind of verse nine is really it's critical for this, be- and in a somewhat challenging way, um, because his, the end the end result, so to speak, of his actual travel. He may desire this and intend that, um, but ultimately, uh, verse 8 and 9, you know, he says he's going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Um, so this effective work 
I think connects back to what we were noting in at the end of chapter 15, um, abounding in the work of the Lord. Um, that's, that's what Paul is doing regularly. Um, and, and so here in Ephesus, he's seeing that opportunity for effective work. Um, and so his thought is this, his plan is that, his desire, you know, may fit one of those, but at least for now, he's going to stay here. Um, uh, ultimately will come to them, and we see that come to fruition. Um, but it's always, for Paul, it's always mindful of, um, and you and I were talking about how this plays out for us, but but the the, the goal and purpose is not of, of him as the person Paul, but ultimately what God desires, and, and especially what we see in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit's work and leading of, of the church. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Paul uses this phrase, if the Lord permits, there in verse 7, which is, is important. I mean, James would have the, the similar thing, right? We, should, we shouldn't say, hey, I'm going to do this or that. We should say, I will do this or that according to the Lord's will, right? if the Lord wills. And so Paul says he has these desires, and these are good desires that he would want to spend time there in Corinth. It's clearly a congregation of people that he loves. He's continued to call them brothers throughout this epistle, even as he's dealt with some pretty severe issues that they have. So it's it's good that he desires to spend time with them, and a significant amount of time with them. But it, he also recognizes that there are other needs in the Church, and Paul's role as an apostle is, is one in which he moves far and wide. And so to be needed there in the Church in Ephesus is, is a good thing. It may mean that he doesn't get to send, spend the same amount of time in Corinth, uh, and some of those details may come up more in the, the letter to Second Corinthians. There are some questions about his travel and did he do what he was said he was going to do kind of thing that, that he will very clearly know. You guys need to pay attention to the way I read wrote, wrote that uh, and, and what I intended, and he has to defend himself a little bit. But the, yeah, the way that we see his, his travel plans working out, it, there, again, not a, not a prescriptive way that, that this is how a, a pastor should consider how he takes a call necessarily, but there are maybe some things to consider, even from the congregation the congregational perspective, that again, with Corinth being a part of this larger church, that there's a, even if it means Paul doesn't get to come to them, there should be a sense of joy that, hey, he's doing the Lord's work there in Ephesus, making use of the opportunity the Lord has given, even if that means that he doesn't get to come to us the way that he wants to or we want him to, still God be praised because the Lord's work is being done through Paul elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in some ways, I feel like this can affirm for us that, yeah, plans are good. You know, desires can be good. Um, we, we, I mean, again, there's always the kind of the, the sinful nature question there, and, and are our plans or, or desires um, motivated by our, our own greed or, or um, pride or whatever else? You know, but in a broad general sense, yeah, God has given us our mind and our reason and our wisdom, and Paul uses those things. But as you noted, always according to the Lord's will, if the Lord permits. Um, and the other thing that stood out to me then is uh, even acknowledging that there are adversaries in Ephesus, which, I mean, we see a lot of that in Acts chapter 19. Um, but that doesn't mean, oh, okay, so I'm going to run away over here to do some work there. Um, uh, it's just part of the situation for Paul, and yet that means I'm going to stay here, uh, even yeah. despite these things or those things at times. Uh, yeah. That may yeah, be no. the case. 
And again, not that this is, it, it's, it's not prescriptive, I think, in terms of, you know, a pastor considering a call or a congregation and, and its ongoing ministry in a place, but just that noting of the fact that there are adversaries, that's one of the reasons Paul is staying there in Ephesus. Hmm. You know, a pastor probably should keep that in mind when he considers a call to a different congregation. Is there work that needs to be done to defend the flock from the wolves? Hmm. And similarly for a congregation in a particular place, boy, life life as a congregation is really difficult right now. It seems that the, the people in our community are not listening, and there's maybe even some adversaries aligned against us. You know, there may be a time to move, but there is also a time to stay and do that that work of the Lord, again, in defending the sheep from the wolves. So to to recognize that there are times when, when you flee from persecution, Paul left one town sometimes because he was being persecuted. There are times when you stay and you face the persecution head-on with the gospel and the confidence that, that Christ has. And again, I, I, not prescriptive, but things that we are right to think about when we find ourselves in similar situations. Yep, well said. So then the rest of, of our section deals with a couple of co-workers of Paul. First, Timothy, then Apollos, verses 10 and 11 about Timothy, verse 12 about Apollos. What, is, what does Paul have to say about Timothy first? Uh, one of the big things is um, noting, again, this language of work. Uh, verse 10, um, for he, Timothy, is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Um, uh, in other places, you know, Paul makes big statements like this, uh, um, slightly different language in different places about the work of Timothy and his, not his standing per se, but but um, uh, he is also a co-worker with Paul in the in the gospel. Um, not an apostle um, like Paul, yet um, a, a very prominent um, worker uh, in, in the kingdom. And so uh, acknowledging that um, and sort of um, upholding Timothy in that regard, um, you know, so that I think leads to then the first part of verse 11, let no one despise him. Um, uh, it, it reminds me of... Um, uh, first Timothy, I think, you know, where, uh, it's, it's, you know, don't, don't let people put you down because you're young. You know, that doesn't seem to be the issue here, um, or at least not explicitly, but, um, both for Timothy as well as for the congregation, you know, at different times and different places is just acknowledging who Timothy is and, and the work that he's doing, um, and, and sort of the, um, call it respect or honor or appreciation or care, you know, that seems to be the big thing here is more maybe that care side of things. Um, help him on his way in peace. Uh, th- this is a, a worker for the Lord. Um, he's coming to you uh, and, and you know, treat him accordingly. Yep. Yeah. And I think in, in that sense, you know, to go back to where we started our conversation about the connection to the last verse of the previous chapter, that what does it mean to be steadfast, immovable, and abounding in the work of the Lord— to receive the faithful preachers that come to you, like yeah. Timothy, is a part of that work of the Lord. Take care of the one who comes to bring you the Word of God. That's what Timothy is coming to do, so don't despise him when he's there. He's very valuable to Paul, and he'll be very valuable to you in proclaiming the Word among you for however long he's there. Your note about you get a little bit of a reminder of some of the letter that's given to to Timothy, the first one especially, that matter of don't let people despise you, just putting this verse with with that one kind of makes you get a little bit of the sense of, of perhaps Timothy is a little bit more timid, uh, and mm-hmm. the fact that he is younger perhaps has, has been prone to, to being despised in congregations, and so Paul here again sticks up for Timothy, as, as is right to do, so that the Corinthians 
would receive him as his fellow worker, as one who brings them the word of God. Then the last verse of our text also deals with Apollos, who we've heard a little bit about in this this letter already. What what do we find out here in verse twelve? Uh, so it you know as Paul says, he was urging um, Apollos to come and visit them um, with other brothers, uh, and that's also even at the end of verse eleven with Timothy. So there's these other people. It's it's not just a you know a, a solo mission um, kind of idea, but uh, often with brothers and 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 some t- and often sisters in Christ as well. Um, and yet there's this then strange phrase in the middle of verse 12, but it was not at all his will to come now. Um, uh, the ESV notes, you know, that who basically the question of who is the his in that in that verse is is ambiguous because um, the the first reference would we would think, you know, in that surface reading in the English is Apollos. It, you know, he didn't want to. Um, but especially in the context of what we've been talking about with Paul and his own plans, um, you know, if the Lord permits, there's the possibility uh, that this is actually a reference to God's will. Um, I don't, I don't know if, and maybe you have thoughts. I don't know if we can make a, a conclusion one way or the other, or even lean one way or the other. Um, but uh, it seems that for some reason, either Apollos's reasons or God's reasons. You know, Apollos didn't go to them, at least not right away, um, or at least not at the, the time of this urging. Um, but he will come when he has opportunity. Uh, it, it fits with, again, this kind of desires and plans of of man and, and, and people, especially within the kingdom, yet always uh, leaving it up to what the Lord actually um, desires and, and works out. Yeah, and I, I think either one, whether it's Apollos's will, so he has some reason that we don't know why he didn't, but he he didn't want to come at the time, or maybe couldn't come, or if it's God's will, either one could fit with the context. And I think within the larger context of the epistle, Paul mentioning it here is a reminder to back in the beginning where there are these factions, you know, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Paul here at the end, when it comes to Apollos's ability to visit them, or lack of visit to them, it seems that perhaps he's wanting to know, he wants the Corinthians to know that Apollos's lack of a visit isn't because Paul somehow kept Apollos away or some sort of division between Paul and Apollos. Rather, it's just simply the reality. Apollos didn't want to, God wouldn't allow it, whichever one it is, so that there's no chance for furthering divisions in this congregation based on the fact that Apollos doesn't show up. It seems to be at least the either way you take it, the practical result of it. So lots of, I mean, even within 12 verses, the end of epistle, so much to talk about, Pastor Eden, with about a minute. Help us to, to wrap things up on, on things that we need to, to take away from this text in 1 Corinthians 16. Um, again, it, there happens to be, even in these short verses, these kind of chunks that we've, that we've discussed today. Um, it's fitting because of the now concerning language at verse 1, now concerning in verse 12. Um you know, but so some of these pieces, uh, for me, I think two main ones is um, the encouragement for forgiving, um, giving as God has given to us um, to um, either care for uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need, um, certainly from other you know parts of the scripture in the New Testament explicitly care for anyone in need um, as well. Um, but then also with the connection of, you know, Paul's travels and and co-workers is the care for um, uh, church workers, uh, whether that's pastors, missionaries, um, other church workers, you know, especially as we have in our denomination, um, 
uh, th this is part of that then is, is caring for them as we care for one another. Um, all of it so that the work of the Lord may abound. Um, ultimately, it is what he has done for us and is doing through us um, up to his will. Um, but uh, some, some encouragement kind of through, through what's happening for Paul and the Corinthians, uh, encouragement for us to, to participate in those things. Pastor Tim Eden serves at Bethel Lutheran Church in Bryan, Texas. He's been helping us today to study 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 12. Pastor Eden, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you again. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That work of the Lord is often very simple, taking care of the needs of the saints, supporting the preacher sent to you, living in the unity in the Spirit that is given in the bond of Christ. Be immovable in that work, dear Christians. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about 1 Corinthians 16, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.